Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. You and I can recognize who He is versus who we are and what He has done for us. I think that's the only thing a lot of times we can really say. And uh, for us, as we live in this world, that's our ultimate goal and that's our ultimate aim. That's the aim of all things. All things are created for His glory. And uh, that should be our focus, especially as those who have been redeemed by him. What a special chorus that I think we can all sing together. And I pray that that we can all sing together. Glory to his name. Uh, He is worthy. He alone is worthy of that. uh, But we do magnify his name this morning. And I appreciate the, the tremendous song, appreciate the words of it this morning. If you have your Bibles, we will find our place today in Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew chapter number 26, and it won't be long that we'll be, and I guess you could say now even we're entering into the uh, Christmas, Easter season, uh, losing my mind already and that's not good. Uh, and the reason I say that is Matthew 26 is often a passage of scripture where uh, you'll find uh, yourself around that season, and we're here this morning, not necessarily for the Easter season, but as we have been studying prayer, of course, a tremendous prayer that Christ prayed his time in the garden, which I do hope as I was studying these verses that we can kind of recollect what Pastor James shared with us and some of the images that he shared with us from his trip to Israel to help bring some of this to life, what that picture of the garden was like. That's, that's where we're at this morning, the Matthew Chapter number 26, it's a long chapter, a lot happens in these verses of scripture, of course we're not focusing on those on its entirety, you have to take all that into mind so that what we do study we can gain a fruitful and accurate understanding of, um, but that's where we're at, we're near the end of the Lord's earthly ministry, his crucifixion is near, and that's where we find our place here in Matthew chapter number 26, we're going to read verses 36 through 46. And as you find your place, I'll ask you, if you will, this morning to stand in honor and reference to the word of the Lord as we read together. The Bible says this, Then cometh Jesus with them, that's his disciples, unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, 
and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Lord, I thank you this morning for your goodness. And God, I thank you for your love. Lord, I'm thankful for what we're reading about here in these verses. Lord, we know what this is leading to. God, it's leading to your crucifixion where you would die in my place and die in the place of each one that's here this morning that has put their faith in you, God, and I rejoice in that. Lord, I am thankful for the song that was sung this morning, God, to be reminded that you alone are worthy of glory. And God, we want to say that and echo that once again as we pray. Lord, all glory to your name. And God, I pray that as we study and, and preach from the word of the Lord this morning, that's what our heart is, is to bring you glory. Why do, we, why do we take this time each Sunday morning to open up our Bibles? It's because, Lord, all glory is due unto your name. And we know that this book is given to us from you, and so we want to honor you this morning. And God, I pray that as I preach, Lord, that I fade off into the distance and we would all see the beautiful and wonderful Son of God lifted up and exalted and made much of. Lord, help me to... Handle your word with integrity this morning and with accuracy so that what I say is truly what thus saith the Lord. And God, I pray that your word would go forth in power. Lord, without the power of the Holy Ghost at work, then Lord, the words will fall empty today. God, they will not change anybody's life. They will not transform anybody's heart. But God, with the power of God, the, what can be accomplished in this time together is, has no barriers and has no limits. So Lord, I completely depend upon you today. Lord, thank you for salvation. And thank you for that hope that's given to humanity, Lord, in Christ. We love you this morning. We thank you for first loving us. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. The text before us gives us uh, a revealing picture of two, two different situations. One way in which you look at it, you'll see the perfection of deity. You'll see Jesus Christ. And I think... His perfection, His his perfect humanity shines through in a special way in these verses. But on the other side of that, we see the great weakness of humanity. We see a moment of spiritual victory in the life of Jesus. We see on the other side of that, the moment of great spiritual failure in the life of the disciples. And I think that it's important to note, it's worth noting this morning, that the distinction between these two pictures is prayer. Jesus, we see Him in a moment of, of, again, a perfection of Him giving us the perfect example that you and I should follow in all things. But then on the other side of that, you see the disciples sleeping when they're supposed to be awake and praying. And the difference in the two is Jesus prayed and the disciples didn't. The disciples failed to pray. Jesus would go on. Of course, He's under great heaviness and sorrow, but... Jesus, as we leave this scene, is in submission to the will of the Father, and He is going to be faithful, even unto death, faithful unto the cross. But you see, the disciples will go from this moment of failure into greater failure. Most everyone knows what waits ahead for for Peter, what's going to happen just soon hereafter with Peter, as he would deny the Lord three times and the only difference, if you will, in these verses is... Jesus prayed, and the disciples, they failed to pray when they should have been praying. As I mentioned, as we find ourselves in chapter 26 of Matthew, we're experiencing some of Christ's final moments with His disciples before He suffers and bleeds and will die on a Roman cross for the sins 
of the world. The group had just partaken in the Passover meal together, and then they left the Mount of Olives, and they're walking along with Christ, and Christ begins to tell them some discouraging news, if you will. If you look in verse number 31, he tells them as they're walking, he says, All of you will be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But he tells them, after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. There would be a reunion. They would meet again with him. But Jesus, I mean, you imagine being Jesus' followers, his disciples, who have, granted, not been perfect, but they're still here. They've still been walking with him. They've been following him. Many have forsaken their old lives, forsaken their, their, their uh, operation as fishermen. And they've been following him. But now Jesus says, listen, you're all going to be offended because of me. And when I have been smitten, when I have been killed and crucified as his illusion, then all of you are going to be like sheep who have lost their shepherd and you're going to spread about and you're going to not be faithful. And then Peter, as many know him as the one who kind of always speaks, even when he probably shouldn't, he says in verse 33, he's got this nice, uh, sounds good assertion, but we see even in our verses his failure to even carry out a task that the Lord has given him. But he says, "If Lord, if everyone around was offended and everybody else scattered and was unfaithful, Peter says, I will never be offended. And that's when Jesus tells him, but listen, Peter, before this night's even over, you will deny me three times. And I think that's important to remember. That makes the failure of the disciples in the verses we read kind of strike us that much harder. Peter's just said, Lord, if everybody else forsakes you, I'm going to be faithful. I'll be true. I'll still be here. But then Jesus is going to ask him to pray here in just a little bit. And from Peter's assertion of verse number 33, and they're not, they're not going to be faithful. The synoptic gospels also write about this encounter of Jesus and his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mark 14, verses 32 through 42, and Luke chapter number 22, verses 39 through 46. And then what we begin to see as we pick up in verse number 36 is the heaviness of Jesus. Heaviness which even Jesus himself describes as, in verse number 38, sorrowful, exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. The weight that Jesus is experiencing in his humanity under what he is about to face is almost crushing to the point of death. And disciples, the disciples are somewhat blind to the reality in that they don't fully understand what's about to take place. They probably don't fully understand when Jesus says, I'm going to be smitten as the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. They don't fully grasp what lies ahead of them, but the disciples have a great moment of heaviness, a very difficult situation that they too were about to face. Jesus is about to face the greatest difficulty that any one man could ever face. And in this situation, I want you to think about the fact that Jesus prays. And Jesus tells his disciples to pray. So my assertion to you this morning is the way to handle incredibly difficult times is through prayer. Jesus is experiencing heaviness like no one will ever be able to relate to. As the perfect son of God facing the sins of the world to be placed upon his back. The disciples again don't understand but... They have difficulty they're about to experience, and Jesus told them to pray. And what I want you to know this morning is the way that you can handle incredibly 
difficult times in your life is through, through prayer. I mentioned Jesus would go on from this to spiritual victory and that he was faithful. Yeah, when I say spiritual victory, it's not, uh, he's going to face pain and suffering. But he's submitted to the will of the Father and he's going to be faithful, spiritual victory. The disciples are going to go from this and just like Jesus predicted, and just like Jesus said, they're going to scatter. They're not going to be faithful. And all because of their lack of prayer and Jesus' submission is found in his prayer. So I want us to look this morning, first of all, at why prayer is is our strength. Prayer is where we can find victory in times of great difficulty. In verses 36 through 39, we see that prayer is, is for sorrow. Jesus comes into the place called Gethsemane in verse number 36, and he tells his disciples as a whole, he tells them as they walk, the picture I have in mind is they're walking into, into the garden. At the entrance, he tells the group to stay here while I go and pray yonder. Jesus tells them, to stay still. But verse number 37, he takes Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, is James and John, and he brings them a little bit further. The Bible tells us there that he began to be sorrowful and, and very heavy. Jesus wants them to stay where they are, be watchful, he says in verse number 38, to my soul's exceeding sorrowful even unto death. So after he brings them a little bit further, he says, You stay here, stay awake, stay alert. Be watchful. And then Jesus goes a little bit further, even so. So he's got one group of his disciples here. Three of them, Peter, James, and John, come a little bit further. Then Jesus goes on further, even so. So he's in isolation and begins to pray unto his Father. The picture in verse number 39, the Bible says he fell on his face. I think the picture that we gather from that is that the heaviness... The sorrow is so great upon his back, it's almost like he collapses under the weight of all that. He's gone as far as he can under the weight of what he's experiencing, and he falls down on his face. What does he do? He begins to pray. The word sorrowful found in verse number 37 means to experience deep emotional pain or severe sorrow. I read that it can, it's to give you an idea of the intensity of it, it can be used to refer to the pain of childbirth. The phrase very heavy means to be incredibly distressed or troubled. And so while a very simple thought, what I want you to recognize is in this moment where Jesus is, is under the weight so heavy that he, he falls on his face in the garden when he tells his disciples that I'm under such sorrow that I'm at the point of death. In that moment, what did Jesus do? Jesus found himself. Jesus got alone with God and began to pray. He isolated himself. He's with his disciples. He asked them to be watchful. But when I say he isolated himself, I mean he got alone in the garden, away from even his disciples. He's a stone's throw away from them. And he falls down on his face, and he begins to pray. When you face incredibly difficult times in your life, I want you to remember that prayer is for sorrow. Prayer is where you can go, and prayer is a tool and a resource you can use when your heart is overwhelmed and when you are facing things that, that are too heavy and too great for you. Listen to me this morning. Prayer is something you can do and God has given us prayers, a place to go when our burdens are just so heavy we cannot hardly bear them. There's a lot of things Jesus could have done. There's a lot of things that Jesus could have tried, if you will, but Jesus' goal, what Jesus felt necessary was to 
pray. Not that prayer is only to be used in sorrow, not that prayer is only to be used in times of distress, but it is certainly one time in which we can pray. I like what J.C. Ryle said. I read this from him. He said, first, let us learn that prayer is the best practical remedy that we can use in time of trouble. Matthew Henry said it, said, gave the point very well. He said, a troubled soul finds most ease when it is alone with God. Now certainly there's a special environment, a special situation, a special thing that takes place when you have people who, can, who will pray for you and pray with you. But there is things that you'll face where you will need to be isolated, where you will need to be alone with God and lift your heart up unto Him. When you're exceedingly sorrowful unto death, when you're facing heaviness, when you're sorrowful, as Jesus explains Himself in verse number 37, remember that you can pray. But then also we see in Jesus' prayer, and we've alluded to this, but prayer is for submission. As Jesus begins to voice his prayer, I think we'll quickly recognize how different Jesus' prayer often sounds as compared to so many of our own. Jesus, as he begins to pray in verse number 39, says, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. Jesus makes his desire known in his prayer. He prays that if it's possible, that if salvation can be accomplished in any other way than what lies ahead of him, that this cup would pass over him. That if there was another way that, that the Lord would make that known, that the Lord would accomplish his plan of salvation through whatever means those means might be. What is this cup? What is Jesus referring to? What is, here's the question. What is it that's making Jesus so heavy? He's the Son of God. He's the perfect one. He has all power. He has all ability. What is it that's making Jesus so heavy that He says, I'm sorrowful to the point of death? What is this cup? This cup is what this morning should bring you and I rejoicing what Jesus is about to drink, what is causing Jesus so much heaviness is my sin and your sin that has been placed Upon his back. That's what Jesus is about to drink. If you read about this, uh, these verses in a commentary, it's going to tell you more than likely. I think everyone I read talked about how in the Old Testament, these, the cup usually referred to divine wrath, God's judgment being poured out. Well, that's what Jesus is about to experience. He's about to have judgment and God's wrath poured out upon him for our sin, which is where our salvation comes from. My unrighteousness and the guilt and the punishment through my sin, was placed upon Jesus. And that's what's causing His heaviness, the perfect Son of God. Imagine the weight of sin upon Him as perfection. And that's what it is that's causing Him so much heaviness, so much sorrow, that He is answering for my sin, and He's answering for your sin this morning. That's what this cup is. That's what's causing Him so much grief and so much sorrow. This is the reality of our sin. This is the cost of our sin. When we say glory unto Jesus, when we say glory unto the Lamb who died for me, who redeemed me, these verses help us to remember what that caused Him, the pain, the sorrow, even unto death. Why is He doing that? He's doing that so that I could have salvation, so that you can have 
salvation. And this is a perfect picture of how you and I are set free is because of God's perfection and God's justice. Sin just cannot just be excused. And God couldn't just say, well, we'll just won't worry about it. We'll pretend like it never happened. God cannot do that. So you and I, though, have forgiveness because that sin was answered for in Jesus Christ. And he had wrath poured out upon him. But as Jesus even makes his request known in verse number 39, his ultimate request, his request primarily was this, Lord, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. I mentioned this last week, and here it makes it the point even more strongly, I think, as we hear our Lord praying this, but prayer I think many people have the idea that prayer is for me to get God on my page, to get me so I can get God to do what I want Him to do. But prayer is more about getting me on God's page, getting me to understand what God wants, getting me to the point where I'm submissive to His will. Here is the most powerful prayer that you and I can pray. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Because there will be times when God's will will not Match your will. There'll be times when God's will may understand what Jesus is praying, what God's will is, involves his pain, involves his suffering, involves shame, involves him being mocked, involves all those things that we know about the crucifixion. So sometimes when you pray God's will, that's not praying for you to avoid every hardship, every heartache, every trial, every adversity. But we know this is the prayer of a mature follower of Christ. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Because praying the Father's will may involve difficulty in your life. We know, however, that if it, is, if it be so, that whatever may come our way according to His will is for God's glory and for a purpose. Again, what a perfect example we have in the life of Jesus. Yes, what He's about to endure is going to be painful. Suffering, but it's for God's glory and it's for a purpose. But praying for God's will does not necessarily mean you're praying for the easiest and the smoothest path. But what this is, is a prayer of trust. It's a prayer acknowledging that God's way is much better than my way. It's a prayer of humility to say that God, while this math, this path may seem best to me, and this path seems clearest to me, God, ultimately I know that my vision is blurry, and God, you know best. And that's what... We're recognizing when we pray, God, nevertheless, I want your will more than I ever want my will. And that's what Jesus is praying here in these verses. I want you to think about something as Dr. David Jeremiah says, three times Jesus implored his heavenly Father to remove the cup of the cross from him. If such a thing be possible. He prays that three times. In these verses of scripture. But three times he received silence in return. Which he rightly took as a divine no. David Jeremiah does recognize it in Luke. It reports that an angel came to strengthen Christ. But I found it interesting that even Jesus sometimes received silence from heaven when he prayed. As Jesus understood that to be that this was according to God's will. 
And as we leave this scene, Jesus says, rise. It's powerful if you stop and think about what Jesus is saying in verse number 46. He says, rise and let us be going. Behold, he is in hand that doth betray me. Jesus is not running the other way. Jesus is not saying, let's get out of here before this crowd and this mob comes and gets me and arrests me and has me crucified. Let's take off and run. Everybody hide and we'll do our best until this time passes. Jesus knows exactly what's waiting for him. And he says, rise. He knows that Judas is bringing a crowd out there to betray him. And Jesus begins to walk toward him. Jesus is in true submission to the Father's will. And that happened through prayer. This has to be a practice of ours. This has to be a purpose of ours in praying is to bring ourselves in submission to God's will. And then finally, though, we see mentioned two pictures. Well, we see Jesus' picture of again of, of perfect or perfection. The cross lies before him, but yet he says, Lord, not my will. God, I want your will above all things. But then on the other side of that, we have the, the, the disciples. Such a very different picture that we see of the disciples. Jesus tells them in verse number 38, he tells Peter, James, and John especially to, to stay here and watch. That word watch means to be awake, it means to be alert, to be vigilant, to be responsible. In other words, it's the exact opposite of sleeping. Jesus is saying, don't, don't be asleep. I read this illustration about the word. I think it, it helps us understand the word is the way somebody might w walk across a creek or a, a, you know, a shallow river and, and try to walk on the rocks to keep from falling. That same kind of attention that somebody's going to give to try to make sure they don't slip and fall, to make sure the rock's not going to move as they step on it. That's, that's the picture of this word that Jesus is giving. Again, it's far from sleeping. Jesus says, stay here and watch. Jesus goes and prays, and again, all this heaviness he's experiencing, all this heartache, this sorrow, you just think the least they can do is stay awake. But Jesus comes back and finds them asleep. Jesus gave them one thing, just stay awake. Comes back and finds them asleep. As I thought of that, I'm just thankful that Christ is treating Peter much better than Peter is treating Christ. And aren't you glad that Christ so regularly treats us so much better than we treat him? Yes, and I think he calls out Peter, if you will. It says in verse number 40, he asked Peter because of what we read in verse 33 where Peter's saying, Lord, if everybody's offended, I'm not going to be. I promise you, Lord, I'll be here. I'll not forsake you. The Lord says, Peter, you couldn't even stay awake for one hour when I asked you to. So then Jesus tells them specifically in verse 41, again, watch and pray. And why is he saying that? So that you do not enter into temptation. Jesus is acknowledging that there's danger here. Writers, writers describe what is Jesus, or they'll refer to what is Jesus talking about when he says temptation. Is Jesus saying so specifically they don't fall asleep in this moment so that they'll stay awake while Jesus expects them to? Or is it something greater in that Jesus knows what's about to happen. Jesus knows he's about to be arrested, that the, the flock are going to be scattered, and Jesus knows this tempta temptation that's coming, and he's saying pray and be watchful so that when this temptation comes, that you will not enter into it, so that you will not fall to this 
situation because with Jesus' arrest could come their own persecution, their own mockery, their own belittling, their own faith being tested. And Jesus is saying in a greater sense, watch and pray so that you do not prove yourself unfaithful during those times. Because they're going to face the temptation to deny Jesus, to scatter. Jesus acknowledges that there's a part of them that wanted to be faithful. The Spirit indeed is willing. Their inner man. Now, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit, but there was a part of them that was willing, but the flesh, he says, is weak. The Bible tells us that their eyes were heavy, they were tired, they have been traveling with Him. The flesh would want to sleep. It would want to take the easy way out. In the greater scene of what's happening, it, the flesh would not want to endure persecution. The flesh would not want to endure hardship that would come from remaining faithful to Jesus. So what did Jesus tell them to do to overcome this? Jesus said, watch and pray. So according to Jesus' instruction, prayer would keep the disciples out of trouble. It would help them overcome the weakness of the flesh. Mitch titled the message today, Overcoming Through Prayer. Think what we learn in studying these verses of scriptures, there's strength to be found, there's victory to be found in prayer. All of us, I think, can relate. If you can't relate to anything else in these verses, I'm sure if you've been saved for any length of time, you can relate to this phrase, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know what the right thing is, you want to do the right thing according to the word of the Lord, but the flesh just seems to always interrupt that. Flesh seems to always interfere with us doing what we know Christ wants us to do. Well, what does Christ give us as a response to that, as a remedy to that? He says, watch and pray. So I wonder this morning if any of us might also hear the voice of Jesus calling to us to watch and pray. Do you look around you this morning and see times of great spiritual testing Times around you of incredible difficulty, times that have caused them sorrow, times that are causing heaviness, times in which your, your faith will be tested. What does Jesus say to do? He says, watch and pray. The disciples are being negligent. The disciples are being half-hearted and haphazard. Many times that's often us, and as we'll find, as the disciples will find, that's going to lead to trouble. There's a diligence that Jesus is expecting of his followers here that they fail to offer. But I think about something when I study these verses of Scripture, and I share these thoughts with you this morning. Really, a question I have when I read and study these verses, my mind ponders this question. What's the chances of all three of them falling asleep? This is not to even include the other the other disciples that are at the entrance of the garden. This is just to talk about Peter, James, and John. You think between the three of them, maybe one of them at least could stay awake and try to help the others, keep the others accountable. I think there may be times in our life where we have to, where we can help keep those around us accountable. We can help keep those around us awake. In times this morning of extreme heaviness, I would exhort you to follow Jesus' example. He fell on his face before God in prayer. And he prayed. 
not his will, but God's be done. See, the, rec- the, the heart of that prayer is recognizing that his way is best and that God is, that he is God and we are not. That's why we pray, nevertheless, Lord, here's what I, here's my desire. But God, more than that, more than anything, I want what you want. And in times of great tre- times of great testing where you and I are prone to fail, follow Jesus' exhortation and watch and pray. Don't lose your confidence in prayer this morning. We see in these verses how Christ overcomes through prayer and the disciples could have overcome through prayer, but they failed to. The Bible says in Mark chapter 14, verse number 50, and they, that's the disciples, all forsook him and fled, which would have happened after these verses. Jesus said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. They didn't pray, and then so Mark 14, 50 reads, and the disciples all forsook him and fled. They entered into temptation. Peter's failures especially notice as he would eventually go on to deny Jesus three times. Prayer is the key to overcome the most difficult of times. As we stand together this morning, our musicians come around. I want to share this thought with you as well. I read in the Believer's Bible commentary, it says, Before we leave the garden." Before we close our Bibles this morning, let us pause once more to hear his sob, to ponder his, sor- his sorrow, and to thank him with all our hearts. Do you, know, do you know why the disciples could sleep in the garden in the first place? Because Jesus is bearing the weight that they should be bearing. All this, the heaviness, the sorrow, that either Jesus described as even unto death, that we witness him experiencing in these verses. That should have been my heaviness. And that should have been your heaviness. But Jesus has it upon his back instead of on mine and on yours. It should have been them. It should have been the disciples who were saying, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death as they were under the weight of their own sin. But they're not because Jesus is bearing it for them. So this morning, let it be known to you that Jesus has bore your sin. Jesus has drank the cup of God's wrath for you so that you can go free this morning. If you've never trusted Christ, you've never put your faith in Him, I want you to hear those words. I want you to hear that truth. That in Jesus Christ, you can have salvation, you can have forgiveness. As Mark comes around and leads us in a song, if you need to pray this morning, I encourage you to do so. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.